Innovate UK KTN, connecting for positive change. Welcome to the Maritime Innovation Soundwaves podcast. In this series, we'll be exploring the trending topics that innovators in the ports and maritime sectors are always talking about. Following the success of the Decarbonising Ports and Harbours Innovation Network, we reaffirmed our commitment to decarbonising our industries, including maritime. A lot has happened since 2019, but the maritime sector is now rising to global and domestic grand challenges, addressing a transition away from fossil fuels to net zero operations, along with an ambitious plan to embrace automation, digitization, and striving to improve productivity. We have assembled teams of leading experts in their fields drawn from our maritime and ports innovation network to join us today related to these grand challenges. In this episode, myself, Matthew Moss, Maritime Leader, Innovate UK KTN, are joined by guests Ellie Howe and Jerry Clark from Portsmouth International Port, as well as Marlene Mitchell from the Port of Aberdeen. And today we'll be exploring the topic of green ports. So welcome all. The first question, I'll go to Ellie, you first. So ports have been leading the charge when it comes to creating a green port of the future. Tell us about some of the decarbonisation initiatives that are happening in Portsmouth International Port. Nice, easy one to kick us off. So here at Portsmouth International Port, we've been working on our decarbonisation journey for a fair few years, um, especially with Jerry here at the port, banging the sustainability drum for many years. Um, so a few ones that I think are important to call out um, are a few projects that have come to fruition within the last year or so. So that includes our solar arrays project, where we um, have over 2,600 solar panels now installed across the port in a 1.2 megawatt peak system. Um, we've been included and worked um, collaboratively on the Shape UK project, um, on the PESO project, which both came to an end in the last year or so. Uh, we have five air quality monitors, which form part of our digital twin um, ecosystem here at the port, giving us live data every day on what our air quality um, pollutant measurements and weather data across the site, which is great. It's all even in our infrastructure as well. So we have a terminal building that won awards for its sustainability um, credits within the building, things like a seawater harvesting pump, wind cows on the roof. Um, and we are currently building a huge extension to that um, terminal building, which boasts similar and better um, uh, efficiency measures and will be carbon neutral upon construction. Um, and then I suppose the biggest thing that we've been working on and are continuing to work towards is around the ships that we welcome here to Portsmouth. So we work really, really closely with Brittany Ferries. They're our biggest customer. Um, and over the last couple of years, we've welcomed and started to welcome um, LNG vessels into the port. So the Salamanca, um, which was last year, and then last Friday, the Santona. Um, so these are you know, these vessels, they do boast a much uh, greater impact when it comes to air quality. The carbon emissions, you know, it, it's a step change, this type of vessel. Um, the carbon emissions are still an issue. However, we do have a next step towards that as well, which is us welcoming uh, two LNG hybrid vessels from 2025, um, which is really, really exciting for us. Um, so these 
these vessels are world first um, ferries of that kind and they'll be able to switch to battery um, propulsion um, from their LNG engines. So when they're coming into the harbour, past the city, into our port, um, they'll be producing zero emissions and we're hoping um, to be able to provide them with shore power um, and we're working really, really tirelessly on those aims at the moment. Um, I think that's a pretty good scoop of the things that we've been working on the last couple of years and months, unless I've missed anything, Jerry. No, no, that's all good. I mean, um, I was having a bit of a laugh and a joke with Ellie earlier that I started in 1994 in the port. Ellie was born in the same year that I started in the port, so it gives you an idea of one generation to the next. And a lot of what we've done, um, Ellie's just uh, spoken about, uh, but one of the great things that came through was the seawater uh, heat transfer pump, which cools the new, well, I say new, 2010, uh, the terminal in the summer and heats it in the winter. Um, seawater flushing, everything we've done in the last 20 years, everything I've done that hasn't been piloting ships has been towards increasing sustainability. But no, Ellie's, Ellie's hit them all on the head there. Thanks very much, Ellie and Jerry. I mean, there's a, a whole range of projects that are undergoing at Portsmouth at the moment, and it sounds like there's plenty more to come, which is quite the challenge as we go through this transition. So moving on to Marlene at the Port of Aberdeen, the same question to you, really. What activities, initiatives have you been involved in at the Port of Aberdeen around decarbonisation? Crikey, it's quite an, an act to follow following Ellie. But um, in Aberdeen, um, we have set ourselves a really ambitious target to be net zero by 2040. So that's ahead of the Scottish and UK government targets. And over the last few years, we've been involved in a number of studies and initiatives that will you know, work towards incremental gains and white, you know, larger step change gains within our North Harbour operation. Some of the projects that we've been um, involved in that have already started driving benefits are the introduction of electric vehicles and we've got more due into the fleet this year and in coming years as the the current fleet moves through its its useful life cycle. We also spent around £300,000 replacing almost 500 lights across the port estate um, with energy efficient LEDs. So that reduced our energy consumption for lighting um, by about 50% almost immediately, which was, you know, a huge, huge change and a huge benefit um, and it also drives efficiencies in terms of maintenance, reducing working at height, um, and it drives a better operating environment. So it's it's better for everyone who's working in the port. Um, we're also involved in a number of projects supported by CMDC funding, including our Port Zero project, uh, which is focusing on our, our almost fully operational South Harbour expansion project. And that is focusing on accelerating our transition to net zero. Um, we're looking to decarbonise landside and maritime operations through um, green alternative power sources. We're looking at multiple energy vectors there and we're, we're considering a short, medium and long term range there, um, as well as technologies to power port equipment and third party owned equipment operating um, on the land side. So that's a that's a marine and land side project, which is really exciting. Um, we're also involved with the High Five Consortium, looking at domestic green shipping corridors, um, linking Aberdeen with Orkney and Shetland Islands initially with the hydrogen powered autonomous ships. Um, moving moving volumes of cargo there. So, so we're moving through that on, again, another CMDC project. 
Um, and just one other um, that comes to the top of my head is uh, Still Strong. We're working alongside um, they're an AP Molar Maersk spin-off organisation and we're looking at the development of offshore charging buoys for hybrid and or electric vessels that are out with the harbour itself, but within the port limits. So that's just that's just a few of the projects we're involved in. Uh, we have a strategic sustainable operating group within the port focused across every element of, of what we do from operations, marine, engineering and SHEC. And um, this is just a building block um, element to help us as we, we decarbonise before 2040. Thanks very much, Marlene. And I think both from Aberdeen and Portsmouth's perspective, we've really got the ball rolling in terms of getting these transformational, let's be honest, in terms of infrastructure, huge transformational projects underway. I guess the next question would be, what is the main, the biggest challenge for you as port owners, operators to get these projects off the ground, because in some cases we're talking about vast sums of money. Maybe there's many stakeholders at play. We'll come to you first, Ellie and Jerry. What's been the biggest challenge for you so far to begin this journey of decarbonisation? Well, it's always um, it's always the money, to be honest, um, when it comes to it. But the challenges, um, I'm not saying they're not there, but it's just hard work, um, which I think we're all used to. Um, certainly the LNG ships, we have a customer that's been in Portsmouth for over 30 years. Um, we didn't go to them and say, we need you to buy more sustainable ships. They've done that as part of their own drive. Um, our job is to make sure we put the infrastructure in so that those ships can actually work. So for the new ships that are coming in currently, um, in 2018, we put in a brand new link span, which joins the ship to the shore. Um, now, half a million of that was sustainability features that were funded by one of my closing, one of our closing um, European bids. But that allowed us to put in soft start electric motors, um, special paint steel that would last 35 years rather than 25 years. But more importantly, um, by having a, a tank that was pumped out by water, uh, electric pumps, rather than the air blowers we used to use, we managed an 11% energy savings. So, um, unfortunately, one of the first things that goes out of the window when you do a project is the sustainability features when the budget starts getting squeezed. But having external funding for those is what makes the difference. And that's where Innovate UK, uh, UKRI and um, you know the Knowledge Network itself and the collaborators that we've had throughout have helped. Um, the solar arrays that we put in is almost a commercial arrangement in that's rather like putting one on your own roof, it pays for itself after a few years. So the challenge there is not so much um, the project itself as putting all the bits and pieces together. Um, we've had two um, very successful projects in PESO, which is Port Energy Systems Optimization, which was funded by UKRI. And the recent CMDC bid, um, SHAPE, which was the hydrogen project. Three strands to that, which really opened our eyes. Um, the challenge for me as a bloke who's now 60 is understanding the technology, which is why it's a delight to have Ellie. Because what we put in there was a digital platform that did a digital twin of the port. And from going from a project where we think, well, that sounds nice, it's now becoming an essential part of how we're going to move forward because... The digital twin already has on its dashboard our air on its dashboard our air quality monitors. It's going to have our energy use and it's going to have a conversion to carbon on it. So 
the thing about Portsmouth, it's owned by the people of Portsmouth. So whilst carbon reduction is our aim, air quality improvements is even a higher aim because our stakeholders are the people of Portsmouth. So I've got a boss, the port director, who said laboratorise the port. So we're going to be putting those air quality monitor um, readings out onto the public sphere very shortly. Um, the biggest uh, challenge at the moment is shore power, as I'm sure you'll understand. And the challenge there is the lack of a business plan. So um, Simon Bullock did a study for the Tyndall Centre at Manchester University some time ago. We were one of the three subject ports. I think it was ourselves, Tyneside and perhaps Dover. And the challenges haven't changed from when he produced that paper. And the great thing is, well, I mean, we've got the ZEBI funding, um, the ZEBI competition starting, for which we're going to be putting in a bid. Um, and without that, I can't see a way of doing it, because ports have to be commercial. They have to be commercially orientated. And without the funding um, that is needed to get it off the ground, we can't see a way of putting a business plan together to make it work. And the challenge there is then, if you do put it in and you want to recharge for the cost of putting it in, you need owners who will pay for it. And when an owner can produce electricity on his ship massively more cheaply than you can provide ashore, then that's the biggest challenge we have at the moment. There's other challenges in the future, but we have got great partners in Brittany Ferry. We've been doing more and more collaboration with the um, Portsmouth University and with the Knowledge Networks. So, yeah. Uh, the challenge at the moment is definitely short power. Thanks very much, Jerry. And yes, I think to, to summarise there, perhaps as, as well as your technical skills, that is a challenge for the future when we go all digital. More money, please, uh, from government to help with these initiatives and more collaboration and engagement with stakeholders to drive these projects forward. So moving on to you, Marlene, you've got a different operating model at Aberdeen compared to the uh, local authority-owned Portsmouth port. So perhaps tell us uh, a little bit sort of your biggest challenges at Aberdeen getting these projects off the ground. Sure. Um, well, I mean, there's multiple challenges, but just listening to, to Jeremy talking there, um, our, our challenges are identical. Um, we're, we're a trust port as opposed to a local authority port, but at the same time, um, we have a commitment to our communities and the hinterland around us uh, to to basically pass the port on in a better um, position than it was when, as we inherited it as a team. Um, one thing we do have, though, is the ability to control and streamline our business case requirements as opposed to a, a limited company. But at the same time, um, we do still have the same challenges uh, Shore power is something that we're we're very much focused on, as as I think many ports will will know. Um, we've done a lot of work again with the Tyndall Centre, and we've done a lot of analytics. But um, even just a phase one an introduction is a multi million pound investment, um, and there can be a lot of uncertainty over demand. Uh, so you can you know you can build it, but will they come? is often the, the sort of cry. Um, and we've done a lot of work around that, working with um, stakeholders, vessel owners and such like. Uh, but there's conflicting challenges. You know, as a port, we're very focused on, on our net zero ambitions. Our port users are too, but they have different ambitions and not necessarily in the same place at the same time as us. Uh, so we've been working through that um, and, and moving forward to, to try and align. Um, so again, as Jeremy alluded to, the, the CMDC and ZEVI funding, you know, it's undoubtedly a great help. Um, the process, as we know, is, is 
is quite challenging. The timelines can be quite challenging. And I do know that that it can be a um, for SMEs and, and smaller partners, uh, an issue to to free up resources to be able to to get a really robust bid um, completed on time or completed to the best of their abilities. Um, and then on top of that, the vessel owners also have their business case requirements. They have to show a return on investment, and certainly the um, the market that we support in Aberdeen, which has been supporting the the oil and gas energy sector. They've been operating it for many years at, at lower margins than, than they would have liked, um, which, which does mean usually that, that R&D and investment is, is what gets cut first. So they have to be able to, to present a business case to their uh, management teams to support upgrades. Um, and then again, it all comes down to cost. How much is it going to cost to be able to, to use shore power and um, without... <laughs> There's it kind of moves us into the policy conversation as well. Uh, there's a lack of clear direction in terms of policy right now. The Clean Maritime Plan from 2019 was was great, but it really didn't point to any direct regulation or to any um, economic stimulus that would drive the uptake of these new technologies. You know, it's it's cheaper to use MGO than it is to use electricity from the grid. Um, so. You know, there's lots of great positive things that are happening, but there's still challenges there, and and really we need to we need to see some some stronger policy drives, and maybe that will come as we get the new clean maritime plan revision later this year. Um, UK Shore are definitely doing a great job in in supporting the sector as a whole, but we do need uh, more government help to to drive these decarbonisation initiatives because I have not yet seen one that comes free of charge. And the ports often have to bear the, the brunt of that, that cost, particularly if it's an infrastructure upgrade. And for many of us, ports are not new, although Aberdeen, obviously, we have new and old. But, but there's a cost associated with infrastructure upgrades, but also dealing with ageing infrastructure. And as well as your um, upgrading and maintaining on a regular basis, when you're having to dig up key elements of your, your key side, there's, there's a challenge there. Um, from a civil engineering perspective and such like, and, and we don't always know what's ahead of us there. What else? Let me think. What else are our challenges? Um, grid connectivity. Do we want to touch on that at this point? We, we're lucky in Aberdeen. Many other ports are not. I'm quite aware of that. They're, they're at the end of a grid connection and they don't necessarily have that grid connectivity to drive the uptake of some of these technologies that, that need enhanced power solutions. But as I say, Aberdeen is very lucky. We do have um, good grid connectivity, and we're going to maximise that moving forward. Thanks very much, Marlene. I think if we were to do a pestle analysis on sort of the challenges that ports face, we could tick off one of every single one of the pestle analysis. There are challenges in all areas. Perhaps a follow-on question from something you mentioned then around the policy. Would you see it uh, a greater benefit to ports having that clear policy direction or would more cash in terms of these funding competitions be most important to you now as you start to develop uh, perhaps infrastructure for the future or would you say they both need to be uh, developed in tandem? So that's a really good question. Honestly, I think the funding would, would come first um, simply because Everything, everything has, a, has a price attached to it. There, there's a lot of R&D has gone into the development of, of technologies. Some technologies are not at 
the same TRL level and so need more, more support, more engagement, more, more development before they become a true um, accessible solution. Um, policy will be great and we do need an element of that. But at the same time, if we push too hard on policy, we may actually damage um, our, our business and the, the sector because some some organisations may actually just choose not to do business with UK PLC if it's too onerous in terms of um, policy requirements. So, so there's a fine balance to be met there. And, and that's obviously where we're, we're going to be reliant on the likes of UK Shore, the Catapults, IUK in, in bridging that gap and understanding what the art of the possible really is without damaging our, our business models moving forward. Thanks very much. And apologies, curveball question that wasn't in the planned original content. So it's always a nice surprise for the audience to get some spontaneous responses there. So as we've got about five minutes left of the podcast, I'm going to move on to our final question, which is, as the ports and maritime sector is a, an international sector, we obviously play in a global market. Do you yourselves as port owners, operators, keep a close eye on what the rest of the world is doing, um, first and foremost? And then where do you see the UK in this international market? Are we at the forefront pioneering some of the latest technologies? Are we perhaps fast followers or are we flagging behind some of our international counterparts? So I'll go to Ellie and Jerry first. Internationally, we're not really an international port. We're, we're, a, we're, a, we're a near continental port. Um, we do have international trade, mostly involving bananas. We still import about 50% of um, the UK's bananas through Portsmouth. Um, but that's a falling trade um, as containerization takes a bigger and bigger bite out of those. Um, our relationships really um, revolve around our main customer, Brittany Ferries. And as I say, that when they invest £100 million in new ships, um, we're there to provide the infrastructure for them. As far as what's happening internationally, well, yes, we have to be aware of that, um, more particularly around things like ship indexing and the cost of carbon, carbon trading. One of the things that, again, I mentioned Mike Sellers, it's good to have a boss who says, go out there and laboratorize the ports because he lets me do anything I like, providing I don't actually ask him for any money, um, which means that I can do anything I like, providing I get grant for it, which is where the air quality monitors came from. Now, the interesting part there is that the government asked for ports that did more than a million tonnes of cargo a year to produce port air quality plans. Um, which we did. It was then rescinded because the big ports put the boot in and decided they didn't want to. Now, we discovered that of the roughly 60,000 tonnes of carbon we produce each year, 26,000 tonnes of that is from ships sat alongside, not plugged in, actually using their own generators to um, produce electricity while they're not doing anything of economic benefit. This is laying by. This isn't while they're actually doing anything. So we've got 26,000 tonnes of year, and the current price in Europe of carbon is about 85 euros a tonne. So it doesn't need me to tell you how much that's actually going to cost when we start paying for it. Now, ships are going to start paying for it from, I think, January next year. So we're keeping tabs on this. We've got ship owners coming into Portsmouth that have some of the shittiest ships you can imagine uh, that are actually asking us to produce give them shore power, which I know they can't take because they're desperate to reduce their carbon index level. Um, and this is something Ellie and I were talking about. We have to decide if we're going to produce electricity shoreside power to provide these ships, do we try and provide them for the older vessels that 
probably won't retrofit anyway, or do we go for the newer vessels? Well, the answer is we're going to try and provide electricity to anyone who can actually take it. We have a letter of understanding from the managing director of Noble Caledonia um, for his two small cruise liners, which um, do Aberdeen as well, I believe. Um, but the older girls, the, the older ships, they actually have spikes in their um, requirement for electricity that, that doubles that doubles the level you have, the level you have to provide just to account for the spikes. It's not a it's not a level um, amount of draw that they're taking. Um, so we're going to provide all those. We have to keep an eye on internationally what's happening because um, we're going to get all caught out if we don't. One of the interesting things is that if we're going to invest £20 million in shore power, and it is going to be £20 million because we don't want it to be £30 million, which is actually what it would cost to put in what we would really like, um, then we have to talk to the ship owners. And the conversation we had with Brittany Ferris was this. If your battery-powered vessels are simply going to come in and plug in so that it's cheaper for you to cross the channel, we're not going to invest £20 million because we're not interested in just saving you a little bit of money. If you tell us that you're going to use battery motive power from the fairway boy inwards so that you are not running your um, carbon uh, kit at all, you are simply running on electric, then we will put the £20 million worth of kit in because air quality is the big thing here in Portsmouth. So it's interesting. Air quality for us is really the touchstone. Car reduction in carbon comes with it. Um, but again, it comes from our stakeholders being the people of Portsmouth um, that we can have these conversations and, and the boss who lets me do it. So yes, um, the relationships with internationally, it's keeping an eye on regulations. Locally, it's talking to the ship owners and ship charters. Thanks very much, Jerry. And the same question to Marlene, really. How do uh, Aberdeen fare in the international market and are you keeping a close eye on the competitors abroad? So yeah, I mean, certainly... Keeping a, a focus on on what's happening in other locations is is um, it's important. It, it helps um, if we have relationships with other locations, other ports, um, and we can share information. We can we can share learnings. We can capture best practices. Uh, some of the some of the elements we've been focused on is um, obviously around shore power. The Scandinavian ports are obviously making huge inroads into that in terms of their usage, their knowledge, and their learnings. Um, now we're availing of of a lot of that information and, and knowledge directly, but also through linkage with the catapults with IUK and and enabling that um, that piece of dissemination to to move forward. But we're also noting um, as we as we talk with other areas that a lot of their drive comes from support from government level. Um, you know, if you look to Norway, they've set targets within their domestic shipping sector for emissions reductions. And so they will um, they will support the organisations within the maritime sector to help get to that levels. They've set up a green shipping programme back in, I think it was 2015. It's a public-private partnership to drive the strategies. So they want to take a leadership position in, in the efficient and environmentally friendly shipping. Um, I know in Denmark as well, there's also a, a collaborative program where they're looking at short to long term solutions um, that will lead to zero emission maritime transportation as well. But again, all of these are there's a drive from the government and from the environmental uh, bodies within the government agencies to 
to to push that uh, that messaging and that need, um, and then there's a level of support there too. And, and I'm not having a pop at the governments per se. I'm just flagging what we see as best practice, and perhaps we need to look at those best practices to support the ports and the maritime sector in the UK and help us take another um, sort of quick leadership position around that too. Thanks very much, and I think. The, the establishment of UK Shore is a step in the right direction as they steer us towards this course to zero and initiatives such as the CMDC and ZEVI competitions and hopefully the refresh of the Clean Maritime Plan later this year will give us a clear direction that will enable not only the UK to catch up with perhaps the Scandinavian countries, maybe even Singapore, but um, forge on ahead of them. That's at least my hope. So with that being said, I'll draw the podcast to a close. Thank you very much for joining us at the audience and also to our, our guests. Please make sure to check out the Maritime and Ports Innovation Network section of the KTN website. Also for latest funding opportunities, news announcements and events to get involved with in the sector. Last but not least, a massive thank you to our guests, Ellie, Jerry from Portsmouth and Marlene from Aberdeen. Make sure to reach out to them and their respective organisations on LinkedIn or through their organisational websites. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. See you in the next episode. Innovate UK KTN. Connecting for positive change.